Really glad to see that Thomas and Laura and family are here today. They've had sickness during the week and the Lord's raised them up, so that's excellent. Now, I've been really stimulated just uh, already. Is that looking right? Yep. Um, in what I've heard. And, you know, I was, I was thinking and praying, as waiting for my time to come up. Um, in myself, I'm very intimidated about speaking. I hate getting up the front. I, I love little groups and uh, that sort of thing. But uh, I thought, do I believe what the Bible says? It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And even though I'm, I'm a melancholy introvert by nature, Jesus isn't. He's perfect. He's a perfect balance of an extrovert and an introvert. He's just perfect. And he wants to live his life through me. And I'm trusting him to live his, to speak through me today because truly my, I get so filled up in my mind, I, I, too much. That's why I use a PowerPoint. It's my notes, by the way. I haven't got any notes. That's them. Uh, but I just wanted to say that at the beginning, whether you're a, um, you know, feel shy and intimidated. You know, when I was a kid, or even as an adult, I've seen someone come along the road that I, I met on the footpath. I'd go over the other side of the road to avoid talking. But God can change all that. And um, I've when David called yesterday, I was my heart was so heavy on still on discipleship, and I'm not going to. We're going to talk about fishing today, but um, my heart was just burdened with discipleship. You know, these guys they was with Jesus for three years. What happened at at uh, in, at the crucifixion? They all ran. They weren't fishermen. Peter, the one we're talking about, he denied the Lord three times. There was something still lacking, and that was what we'd read in Acts 1.8. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you, each one of us, will be witnesses in Hobart, in Tasmania, in Australia, and to the ends of the earth. And I believe that applies to every one of us here. We are called to be witnesses, and you have received the Holy Spirit. The other things that are on my heart is prayer. Jesus said, without me, you can do absolutely nothing. You're powerless without him. And we're in a spiritual battle. These are all points from the message you had, David. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, we're in a spiritual battle, you know, in Colossians, uh, not Colossians, 2 Corinthians 2, no, 4, verse 4, it says, this God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. They're blinded. We've got to realize that we're in a spiritual battle and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we just need to do our part. Now, we, that's the introduction. Um, we're talking about fishing today. Uh, with this, um, well, I'm going to try and save time uh, where I can. Uh, Matthew 4.19, the, the surrounding verses, that says that Jesus was walking along the seashore. And these guys, Peter and Andrew, 
were um, casting a net because they were fishermen. And Jesus says to them, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, left their boat, and followed Jesus. And uh, you read that, if you just read Matthew, you think, whoa, what a miracle. How come these guys, that must have been a divine intervention there. But you're fine, and what I want to do is go back to the, if you, Matthew wrote particularly topically. He, he bunched um, stories or, or truth together according to a topic. John uh, recorded more chronologically time events, and you'll see in John, as we go there, he's, he's saying, now this day and then the next day and the next day, and he, he lays it all out chronologically. These guys were already Christians, or already believers, before this uh, record here in Matthew. Uh, and this is going to John, and this is after Jesus' baptism, and uh, the wonderful things that um, John's seen, and Jesus had been in the wilderness for uh, 40 days, being tempted by Satan. So it's after all that's happened, and then the next... Uh, John had been talking to the Pharisees and they'd been saying, who are you and whatever, and he said, well, I'm just unworthy. The one that coming after me is far greater than I. And he says the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And remember, he had seen, he'd baptised Jesus. The spirit had descended like a dove upon him. And John was recounting what he knew to be true. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was preaching. There was people around and he, he just couldn't help himself. Uh, and he, there's verses I've left out, but he said, I have seen this and testified that this is the Son of God. And that word testified is what we're talking about today, and that's, that's witnessing, sharing what you know, sharing what God has done in your life. And then uh, uh, later on, he it, it says, uh, the next day, John was standing there again with his two disciples as he watched Jesus walk by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. So this is the following day, and he Jesus is, this is the second time that Jesus has gone past. And there was two disciples of John, two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Now they were disciples of John. Um, they'd been obviously baptised and were being taught by John. And one of those was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. So this is where the connection comes in. The first thing Andrew did, and I've left out a bit here. I should have put the whole thing in. Um, and followed, yeah, and then we jumped down. And what happened is they followed Jesus and they said, where, did, where are you going? He said, come and, Jesus said, come and see. And they spent the rest of the day with, with uh, Jesus and then, it says in verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did 
after being with Jesus, was find his brother Simon and say to him, we have found the anointed one, which is translated Messiah. He led Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him intently and said, you are Simon, John's son. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. That's a, uh, and then it goes on, if you, I'd love you to read John chapter 1 and just see the context there and, and the, the wonderful way that God used personal testimony to bring others to Jesus. And that's what, we're, that's what we, we have our church, we have the ministries and gifts in the church, but each and every one of us are responsible to reach our little circle of friends, our little, our family and our circle of friends. And this is what um, uh, Andrew was doing and then later on you read uh, about Philip, he went and found Nathaniel and brought him to Jesus. So it's just uh, uh, the next day. So you see here in John, it's the next day, the next day. Jesus decided to go away to Galilee where he found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, uh, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the man about whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph the Nazareth, from Nazareth. I just wanted to share that to give you a background to Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. This all happened before that event. And as believers, and Jesus said, come on, follow me. I want to make you fishers of men. And I believe he's saying that he's saying that to me, he's saying it to you. Every Christian must look upon himself as a link between two generations. Not only have we received the faith, but we must pass it on to uh, to others, and uh, years ago I was writing, I was preparing a sermon on, um, well, it wasn't really a sermon. It was really going through the history of the church, and just how I thought as I was preparing that, you know, if one of the you could follow the genealogy, Christians speaking spiritually back right back to these guys for each one of us. All a different thread, but there's been someone faithful to share the gospel. And as that gospel has come to me, I need to be faithful to pass it on to someone else. And if the people that were involved in bringing me to a knowledge of Christ failed in his, their responsibility to share Christ, I know God could do it, even raise up the rocks, but he's choose, chosen to use people. I want to share a little story about Jason and Shirley um, there, and this I'll have to keep it really brief, but um, they're missionaries that we work with in the Philippines, they're New Zealanders, uh, brethren background, they're with, they're with New Tribes Mission, and in the 80s they went to the Philippines, learnt the trade language and then uh, they located and there was only young early 20s they located into the most primitive group 
in the Philippines, the Talaandig in central Mindanao, and there's different groups of Talaandig. Uh, their languages are quite different, actually. Um, these were hunters and gatherers. They were nomadic. They had no villages. They were just spread out across the jungles and mountains. And uh, the people said, well, you can live here beside the trail, and they built them a little tribal house, uh, if you could call it that. And they pretty much lived off the land, and as people walked the trails going hunting or gardening or whatever, they would talk with them, and it was very, very difficult. And cutting along, they, they lived on monkeys and all the rest like the tribal people pretty much, and it wasn't before communication like we have it. Uh, at the end of, by the time they got the language, after three years, I think it was, they couldn't really get anyone to listen except one guy. And they shared from Genesis about God as creator right through to the resurrection of Christ and they had to go on furlough. They was actually already late. They went on furlough rather dejected that, well, we're from here. We've got one God but no one else wants to listen. They was home in New Zealand for 12 months, came back, and when they got into the tribe, they was amazed to find that there had been a village come, all these people against culture and everything else started living around their house. And they said, well, what happens this for? And they said, well, we want to be taught by you. And what, how, what happened is that one guy went out and he led 20 other people to the Lord. And then Jason told me many times, he said, I've never, ever again done evangelism in the tribe. I'm teaching through the scriptures. They translated the, old, the New Testament and almost finished the Old. But God is this whole principle of multiplication is what I want to share, that you never know. Someone that you speak to may be more like one of those guys. In following Christ and going back to fishing, in following Christ, the disciple learns to go where the fish are swimming, to use the proper lure to endure discomfort and inconvenience, be patient and keep out of sight. Fishermen must be courageous, patient people. They must be committed, committed to the task. But the major thing, I believe, is faith, just trusting that God is going to use me. Uh, regardless of my weaknesses and all the rest of it. I love this song by Casting Crowns. I just, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about someone who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Uh, but Jesus. And yeah, that's like the fishing. We, it's not to promote us to be we need to forget ourselves and realize that God wants to use me and work through me and speak to people through me regardless of my weaknesses and all the rest of it God can use anyone who is willing makes themselves available and I think that's our biggest problem uh, this morning in the prayer meeting was thinking about time as a huge factor. And I think we've got to 
we're going to have priorities with our time. Well, what's, what's going to be the most valuable thing to do? Relax, go here, um, or what for eternity rather than for time? Because at the end of the day, what we do for Christ is what's going to last. This is how I think a lot of people think about witnessing. You know, we think, oh, witnessing, it's, it's, I'm going to get whacked for sure. Um, you know, and you can use tracks, you know, all these things. I used to be a printer for five years. We used to print, we used to print at the place I worked uh, up to a million trucks a year, the uh, Queensland and the mailbox club lessons, chick tracks. We used to print all the chick tracks and comics. And wonderful, and you can even leave the, those incognito, <laughs> you know, in the restrooms of the cafe, um, wherever you go, just leave a, leave a track, wherever you go. But uh, the reason for that photo was to be prepared, and I won't even read all this, but I want to share the story um, Regarding Simon Peter, you know, the, the, um, Jesus said, what do are, what are people say about me? Who am I? And they had all different things. And then Jesus said that uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and God, uh, sorry, Jesus praised him up. He said, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. It was the Lord that showed you. Now, I can imagine Peter, he was all, yeah, this is really good. Um, you know, and you could become a little bit proud, I would think. But then after that, and I, again, I won't read it all, but Jesus was talking about going to the cross. And Peter pulled him aside and he said, Oh, no, no, not you, Lord, never. And you know, you know the story that I'm getting to. Get away from me, Satan, or get behind me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing two things merely from uh, seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. And I, that's my problem, right there, is I have this idea of how I can reach people, and there's this little voice going on in my head. Oh, don't do that. They're going to think you're mad. They're going to, and there's all these things now. You could say it's the flesh, but I believe the devil uses the flesh in the world as his tools to pull us down. And we've got this battle. And I think the the first thing to recognise in witnessing or evangelism is to recognise that we have an enemy, and he wants to deter you no matter what. He's going to try and blind the people you go to, but he's also going to turn you, try and turn you away. Just as Peter was trying to turn Jesus away from the cross. But Jesus, of course, could see what was going on. And what a blow to say, get behind me, Satan. Well, but I, I recognize the battle. I don't know what that line's doing there. Sorry about that. 
Um, there's a lot of possibilities, and I'm talking about personal witnessing evangelism today. As we could talk about what we do as a church, and it's thrilling to see all the people in the church that are involved in witnessing that mass evangelism, divine appointments, and uh, intentional and deliberate witness. Uh, massive evangelism, sorry. Uh, we get, sometimes get the wrong idea from the, from the scriptures if we don't see the cultural setting, the, the background. And in Acts, you, you see in Acts 2, there was 3,000 people led to the Lord. I'll just use this as one example, but you could go through. Whoa, wouldn't that be great if that happened in Tasmania? Uh, if we had someone come down here... Um, Billy Graham's son or something come down here and preached and 3,000 people were saved. But you, the background is, is that these were people that were schooled in the Old Testament. There was, in Acts 2, there were 16 different nationalities listed there that were in, were in Jerusalem to be worshipping uh, Jehovah. Um, they had a background and what... Acts 2, and that 3,000 was a reaping. There'd been preparation. They, they understood the scriptures. And we see that on and on. You don't see the same thing happen in Athens. It was a different approach. It was a different strategy that was used. And you can see that all the way through the New Testament. The people, the person that you're trying to win, and I think I'm getting ahead a bit here, but the person you... Jesus, I better just, I'll, I'll keep going because otherwise you're going to see all my notes. So, um, The second is divine appointments and that's wonderful when, the, like Alison said, those, those five guys, you know, that's, that's the Lord and we need to be sensitive to the Lord and we'll only be sensitive to the Lord if we're walking in the spirit and not after the flesh because our flesh doesn't want to do it. But if we're listening to the Spirit and sensitive to what he's saying, his guidance, and we're actually looking to serve him, he will impress on your heart uh, different ones to share with. And it mightn't be taking them to the sinner's prayer, but to sow the next seed in that person's life. Um, he'll, he will lead you, and that's... He's the God of He's the Lord of the harvest and He will lead you if you're truly seeking. And the third one is intentional and deliberate witness, and that's what I want to uh, focus on, particularly this morning, and I think that's what we are focusing on. But let me just say here, if you're not intentionally and deliberately setting out to be a witness for Christ, I very much doubt that you're ever going to get divine appointments. But it's as you are going, as you are seeking to serve the Lord, as you're looking for opportunities, that's when God gives you the divine appointments. When you're praying for the group, like um, for our village example, is as we pray for the village, and I think of almost every house and the people that live in it, you know, the Lord can impress, but you've got to be seeking 
and open and sensitive to the Lord and then he can press on your heart. Just go up and say hi to those guys or, or whatever it might be. And very often I think, oh, it's too late, it's, I'm tired, I don't feel like it. Um, and I think we miss divine appointments simply because we're not following through on what we believe we should. I was thinking we've got at least two guys here that are financial planners and we have all sorts of other um, smart people as well. But, you know, in finances, I think most of you would be planning your finances, planning your future. You do banking. You, you look to plan for, the, for your retirement and all those sort of things. And we plan for our everyday life. And I believe, and I believe the Lord really is clear through the scriptures that we should be planning how we're going to be effective for the Lord. This doesn't exclude the Lord, but it's cooperation with the Lord. Paul said in Second um, Corinthians 6, as co-workers together with God. I, I, with that, uh, I thought earlier, and I've just jotted them down here, but, you know, the walls of Jericho, God was always, has always, if you can think, like crossing the Red Sea. They come to the Red Sea, their army behind them, mountains all around them, and the sea before them. God could have easily just opened up the sea and, oh, we'll go through. But he wanted them to exercise faith. And so he... He commanded Moses, I forget exactly, I think he, no, he wouldn't strike the water, but it was hold up his rod and the water's open. But it's all the way through Exodus, you'll see that happening, the walls of Jericho. God said, walk around seven times and then seven times on the last day. Why was it? It was faith. God is, we are co-workers with God. Healing, um, harvest. I, I know that's one of Laura's favourites at the moment, to break up your fellow ground. You have to break up your fellow ground or break up the fellow ground of someone you're witnessing to and then God pours out righteousness on you or them or whatever. I was thinking particularly of Lazarus. Uh, Jesus away, he got word, Lazarus is sick and he delayed another four days or whatever it was. And when he come... You know, he said, oh, we went out to, the, and he, that's the one place where we read Jesus wept because uh, he sympathized with Mary and Martha. And they went out to the tomb and Jesus said, roll away the stone. And was it Martha, I think, said, oh, Lord, he stinks. He's already corrupting. Uh, four days. Now, Jesus could have just commanded that stone in our modern terminology, to to vaporize or or whatever, you know, just zap it and it'd be gone. But he said to the to them, "Roll it away." And then I can imagine Lazarus coming out, and he's it says he was he's, he was bound up with bandages from burial and the ointment and everything else, I can imagine, and some, most times their uh, tombs 
were not holes in the ground. That way it could have quite easily been a vertical, which they lower down the body into the grave and put it, I don't know about that. But whatever happened, I, I can picture Lazarus just sort of floating out, still all bound, because he couldn't walk. He was all wrapped up. And what, Jesus could have removed all that. But Jesus said, take the bandages off and let him go free. And I believe that's a really good picture of what we're talking about today, evangelism, is that we have to take away the stone. It's only God through the finished work of Christ that can give life. He is the resurrection and the life. But then even when we lead someone to the Lord, as it says in, um, in um, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that we are to make disciples, and that's teaching them to obey everything that Christ has taught. And that's taking the bandages off. You know, you lead someone to the Lord and they're still got all this stain from the sinful life that they've lived, all the baggage that they come with, and Jesus doesn't instantly make them mature Christians. There's growth, and we are to help them in that growth. And I think that's just like removing the bandages of Lazarus. Set him free. Help them to come into a knowledge of the abundant life that there is in Christ Jesus. As I was thinking about um, fishing, and we looked at earlier about you know, uh, using the right lure and the right spot, and we could just focus on that. But I, I also think of farming, and a farmer must cultivate, plant seed, then weed, water, and eventually comes a harvest. It's not instant. And I think a lot of times in um, evangelism, we have this idea that we're going to have an instant crop. Uh, I have a beautiful field and I want to grow potatoes like Bill does. Um, I don't just look at the, thing, the field and think, wow, it's a nice field, very fertile. I'm hoping to get a big crop this year. No, he's got to till the ground. He's got to fertilize. He's got to water. He's got to plant the seed and water and wait for the harvest, and so it is with witnessing. Sometimes we have to in, uh, be consistent and patient for many years. Building a, on a foundation, we have a, at least a couple of builders in the church, and I think we sometimes want to go to putting the roof on first or putting the capstone at the, the what do you call it, the ridge cap, and what is the ridge capped in our evangelism is getting them to say the sinner's prayer. So we're just aiming. We've got to, we've got to get them to the place where we're going to lead them to Christ. But they might not be ready. We've got to build, 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 build. Now, if you come to there's sometimes when you come to someone and God has already prepared their hearts, they're ready and open and willing for the gospel. And that's what Jared and Jordan and these other guys are looking for, people. And that's that's an excellent thing about um, door knocking particularly is most times you'll be turned away, but there's those that God has 
got there for the reaping, for the harvest. Going to missions, when we come back from, from the Philippines, we had this, we'd, we were away over 20 years. Uh, we come back and we had this idea of, you know, what Australia is like. It's this wonderful, disciplined, nice place. It's, everyone's doing the right thing. And we had all these ideas. And when we come back, we went through really bad culture shock. We thought, whoa, let's get back to the Philippines quick. Our, our culture, our country has changed dramatically and sometimes we're a bit like a, a frog in, you know, in water that's bringing to the boil. We don't notice what's going on around us because we, we just, we're in it. Uh, but our culture has changed and we, we realised that we really didn't understand Australian culture anymore. It was so different. Uh, but one thing we did understand that whereas when we left there was generally people had a knowledge of God. They really believed that God existed and they had different ideas of that. But there was some foundation. A lot of people had been to Sunday school or, or whatever. We come back and people don't even know who Jesus is. They don't know the name of Jesus. Um, I taught in... Um, missionary training for a couple of years and one thing we did at the beginning is we went through a thing called our raw material and it was in missions in Bible school they'd notice a great decline from the knowledge that new candidates coming into the training have now to what they had before. There's been a great decline and where in the past you could count on them having a good knowledge of you know, all the Sunday school Bible stories and some basic understanding of the scriptures. Now the colleges have to go back to start at the very beginning at the basis because people don't understand and that's the people that we're trying to reach. Um, or they've put, put it out of their mind altogether. We, um, you know, positioning, I'll just, I'll just go back to that a little bit more. In missions, um, and I was involved in leadership and in doing this is we would have our surveyors, church planting consultants and leadership and we'd meet together and look at, we'd have a very limited number of missionaries coming and we'd look at people that still needed to be reached with the gospel and so we would not only decide well this tribe, this group we're going to try and reach next but also within the tribe what location and it depended on where they was invited to but if possible we'd try to locate where it was most likely that uh, we would uh, be able to reach the most number of people in the, for the benefit of this. Now, I'm almost out of time. I've just taken way too long. Uh, we are to be involved in people's daily lives and show Christ's love. I think that's paramount. Um, we are to engage with people. And we see Jesus doing exactly that. He was criticised. He's a... 
He's a friend of uh, publicans and sinners. He's always hanging out with all the bad people. But I think we need to engage with people where they're at. And if we're just in our holy huddle and never connect and engage with people, we're not going to be effective. We can't expect them to come in here. They don't believe in God. They don't want anything to do with God. So we have to go to them. Now, these are just some suggestions. Is you know, join a club. I know there's guys here in um, um, you know bike clubs, all sorts of things. You, men's men's shed charity group. I uh, joined in Brisbane a group called On the Edge. It was a charity that worked with people on the edge. They were uh, drug, drug addicts, homeless, etc. But it was so that I could connect with people, because I wasn't in our uh, in our, our neighbourhood. Gain their trust and confidence by being a friend, genuinely caring, reliable, and trustworthy. And I think trustworthy is key in building relationships. People today can't trust anyone. And if they, if you can build trust uh, in building a relationship, I want to be trustworthy. I want to be someone that they'll listen to because they trust me. And that takes work. Engage in conversation, whether it's easy or not. Get some hints of Jared or whatever, but listen to them and try to understand what they believe and why they believe it. Be a good listener. And I've got a message on listening, um, and you've probably done listening skills in your work uh, location as well. Listen for barriers and for bridges to introduce the gospel. As you're talking to people, they might just hint at something, and you see that as your stepping stone to introduce Christianity, to introduce talking about Christ. So you have to be a good listener and listen well. Uh, I've already mentioned some of these hospitality clubs, Christian videos in the village. We, we have a number of Christian videos and we just lend them out around the place. They're really good evangelistic uh, videos. Alpha, I've already talked about. Books, um, we've got the, the book, uh, Martin Burnham's, you know, Killing in the Philippines, and that's a good, good uh, Im uh, introduction thing. Visitation. Okay, I've got that in twice. So the gospel. I just wanted to end with this. Um, when a person is to that place that you want to share the gospel with them, the key thing is that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. Do you believe this? And, of course, before that, there's a different approaches you can take, but they need to realize that they're a sinner and that they're cut off from God. There's no hope. They're condemned already, Jesus tells us in, in John. Um, Acts 16.30, the, the um, 
guy there asked to be baptized. He said, what must I do to be saved? Believe, trust in, rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. When we came to in, in John 1, 12, but as many as received him to them, give us he the right to become the children of God to those who believe on his name or trust in him. Uh, when we first trusted the Lord, the next Sunday, the guy that led us to the Lord, he asked us up the front and he went through Romans 10, 9 and 10 with us. He said, you know, ask questions. Do we understand that we're sinners and cut off from God? And then that verse, those verses says, but as... Um, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so he took us through that publicly up the front and it was a, I believe we was already saved, but it was such a thrill and it cemented in our minds. We have publicly confessed Christ as our Lord and Saviour and... Um, Anyway, that's, that's something that you could do. I'll finish now because I know I'm out of time. Um, I'm just, yeah, okay. Let's just close him. I, I must just share this with you. It's on my heart and that is in, I've got slides on it, but I won't even open it. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20, it talks about being um, new creation in Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus and all of us that are Christians would say yes that's me and it goes on to say that we have been reconciled to, to God through Christ and his finished work on the cross then it says therefore we are called forget the I get mixed up with all different versions these days but we are called to be reconciled silas of people to God but then it says, you are ambassadors for Christ or for God as though God did entreat you through us. As though Jesus spoke through you. Verse 20. Think about that. Jesus wants to speak through you. He wants to speak through you as a reconciler of people to bring them to God. And I think all of the requires of us is faith in the written word of God and faith that God is going to use me and you'll be amazed what God can do our heavenly father we just bow before you lord I pray that the holy spirit would take something from this message and apply it to hearts according to their need according lord that in spite of my stammering lips and weakness of the flesh that Jesus will have spoken to each one and continue to do so Lord inspire us guide us and direct us so that we can reach this world for the Lord Jesus Christ Lord help us to be witnesses in our own neighborhood and see Hobart one for Christ we pray in Jesus name Amen